We've been in a series called MVP, which in sports stands for Most Valuable Player. And uh, for this series, it stands for Mission, Vision and Values, and Passion. So the first two weeks, we shared on mission and vision. And today, I want to talk to you about living with passion. See, there's an assignment on every one of our lives uh, that, that is greater than any circumstance or any setback that you face. And because of that assignment, we can live an overcoming life with passion no matter what comes against your life. Now, nothing fuels passion more than knowing God and God's calling giftings on your uh, life and on our church. So this is important because when culture shifts, Jesus doesn't shift. On down days, passion motivates you and I to get up. And what causes you and I to be a, it causes you and I to be a light in the darkness. And I just want you to know, I love passionate people. Don't you? When I walked in here this morning, it was just kind of quiet. There was hardly anything being said. I don't know if you were still asleep or what, but I said, what's going on? But one lady, Crystal Shope, said, I'm here. I'm good. And, her pa- and then she ran to the altar. I love that kind of passion. All right, let's lift up our Bibles, smartphones, iPads, whatever you have your Bible on, and let's make our prayer declaration together with passion, all right? Say this with me. This is my Bible, God's holy word. This book is alive and it's powerful. I read other books, but this is the only book that reads me. There are many opinions, but this is the only opinion that counts today. I declare by faith, I can do all it says I can do. I can be all it says I can be. And I can have all it says I can have. Today, by faith, I ask the Lord Jesus, the living word, to take his written word and personalize it for my life so I can leave here changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, Amen. Okay, this is not on your notes, but I want you to hear uh, a definition of passion. Passion is a compelling emotion that motivates one to action. It is enthusiasm. I want you to hear this. It is enthusiasm. That's why Jesus tells us in, in Mark 12 and in Matthew 22, but Mark 12, it says it this way, verses 30 and 31. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. The problem with the great commandment is we say, I love Jesus. It's the people I have a problem with. But if you love Jesus, you will love people passionately. All right? So this verse is telling us that we can't do this half-heartedly, but with our whole heart, mind, will and emotions. So if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you've got to love him with your whole heart. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. He says it this way in the message, whatever turns up, grab it and do it and do it heartily. And then it tells us in 2 Samuel 6.14, David danced before the Lord with all his might 
which means he worshiped God with everything he had. He didn't walk in half asleep. He didn't walk in with his hands hanging down. Or he didn't say to the person, well, I just don't do that. Come on, smile at me. I just, I just don't clap. I just don't raise my hands. Well, God says he loves it when you do it, all right? God loves passion. There's nothing like a passionate teammate that motivates their fellow teammates. A passionate teammate motivates uh, their teammates to praise and worship their God with them. A passionate teammate prays and motivates their teammates to pray. A passionate teammate loves God's presence. A passionate teammate perseveres until the job is complete. A passionate teammate knows and loves God's playbook. In other words, you know the word of God, all right? A passionate teammate knows their purpose and place on the team. A passionate teammate knows how to fill in for their teammates' positions in case they get sick or something's keeping them back. A passionate teammate prepares the next team or the next generation for what they're going to do. That uh, They are passionate in their marriages. They're passionate about their families. They're passionate about everything they do. So I just want to give a few trophies out again this morning. Some MVP for passionate people, all right? So here we go. This one is for... Sean O'Neill, is he around? Sean, come on up here. Now, the reason I'm giving this out to Sean, Sean has been here from the very beginning. He lived with me and Lois for five years. And anybody who can do that and still be here is definitely a man who loves God. All right, love you very much. Thank you. Thanks so much. That's right, you're an MVP, buddy. All right, these two are for Terry and Lois Moore. Are they, where are they at? Come on. Now, these two people, you need, Terry Moore gets up, when he ushers and door greets and everything else, he's up at five o'clock in the morning. He's, I've come here and the signs are already out. This guy is one tough worker. And Lois Moore, she's worked in the kitchen and she's, she's, I actually have your name on him. They, they, now let me just say, since the beginning they've been here and they have been what I would call passionate and faithfulness and in serving just about more than any other couple. Would you give them a big hand? We love it. Okay, that's it for now. I'll give up more in the next service, but we are blessed. Oh, wait a second. I do have one more. Let me see here. Well, I didn't bring it, but... Lynn Jessen, who can talk about passion without Lynn Jessen? Come on, stand up, Lynn, stand up. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I said I wasn't gonna give out to any staff, but can't help but give one to Lynn when you talk about passion. All right, now, there are two types of people, this is on your notes, and you can write this down if you're taking notes. Those who let circumstances influence their enthusiasm, and then secondly, there are those who, let their, who use their enthusiasm to influence their circumstances. Let me say it again. Two types of people, those who let circumstances influence their enthusiasm. In other words, you wake up, you're down, you don't, 
You don't walk in here with excitement because your circumstances are your blah. It's early in the morning, but you made it because here's what you're thinking. I go to first service so I can have the rest of my day to myself. And then those who use their enthusiasm to influence their circumstances. Now, let me give you a definition of enthusiasm that should help you stay passionate for the rest of your life. Here's what enthusiasm means. It's entheos. And it means, uh, N-E-N means I-N, N. And theos is where we get theology from it. And it literally means God. So enthusiasm means to be in God or to be filled with God. So how do you stay passionate and enthusiastic? By staying in God. True spiritual enthusiasm isn't something you work up. It's not a product of your environment. It's a posture of your heart and your time with God. So you can write this down. It is born in the presence of God by the power of God. I love what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 57 and 58. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically or passionately for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Now, you can write this key down from these verses. It's not what you do that makes it meaningful, but it's who you do it for. So important to remember that. So many, many of you probably turn off the lights at night. Some of you forget to turn off the lights when you're here, but you... <laughs> And you're leaving, but anyway, well, when, when you go to bed each night, and I, I never really even noticed uh, they were on when I went to bed at night until uh, my wife said something to me one evening. She said it this way. She said, I really like it when you turn off the lights at night. <laughs> and she could say it that way, or she could say, I really like it when you turn off the lights at night. And how much electricity we're saving. (laughs) But let me just say this. She used real wisdom in the way she motivated me when the way she said it. I really like it when you turn off the lights at night. Now, when I turn the lights off at night since then, I'm telling you, I do a flip. I do a slip, I do a slide. I'm telling you, I do it with passion. And when I walk into the room after a hard night's work of turning off the lights, I walk into the room and I say to Lois, guess what your husband has been doing? And she'll, she'll say, well, what have you done? I said, I've been bravely facing the elements. And it's been, been tough out there. But everything's ready and everything is good. And she'll say, fine, see you in the morning. Okay. (laughs) Now listen to me. What I'm doing may not be that meaningful, but it's who I'm doing it for. here's, Here's another key, and it's not on your notes, but when you are doing whatever you're doing or whatever you do, and you are doing it for Team Jesus, 
it can transform something from the mundane into the meaningful. Let me say that again. When you're doing whatever you do and you're doing it for Team Jesus, it can transform something mundane into something meaningful. And I say this because we can get used to coming to church and we, we, we have our, every church has its own rituals and routine. You know when you come in here every Sunday, we're going to have worship first. It's, it's a ritual. But what makes the difference is that when you get your, you transform the mundane into something meaningful because it's not what you do, it's who you do it for. Come on. I, I'm preaching good whether you like it or not. All right. Now, an example of this, I heard Pastor Craig Groeschel tell this story about a woman working at a kiosk in the airport. She was selling, you know, a kiosk, a little stand, and she's selling soda and gum and candy and chips. And when people walked by, she was singing. And uh, she was singing angelically. And she was singing at people as they walked by. And it created this buzz because she sings so well. And people were taken by her and her, her joy and her enthusiasm. And the place was electrified and charged because she didn't let the mundane, the boring, staying at a kiosk in an airport uh, just take over her environment. What she did is she, she dictated the mood. She let what was in her dictate the environment around her. So, so Craig Groeschel is walking by and she began to sing something like, hey there, good looking. And not, not in a flirtatious way. You in the black shirt and... I, obviously, I can't sing, so I'm not doing it. But, uh, and I thought about getting Jen up here to do it for me, but she probably wouldn't cooperate. So anyway, so, anyway she, she's saying, and then she said, you in the black shirt, and he stops, and he looks down, and he goes, that's me. And uh, she said, that's you. <laughs> you know? And so uh, she just she got his attention. And uh, so he goes up to her and asks her, he said, why? And her answer was, and she sang it to him. I just help people pick up their step. You know, and and, and I've been tra- they've been traveling all day, and they are tired. And he goes, listen, I know that's a good, good why, but I think there's a much deeper and, at why. And, and he said, I want to know the beyond the surface why. And she said, and he said, can you just talk for a moment? And she said, you want to know the why? You want to know the real why? You really want to know the why? And he said, I think I do. And she said, I think you know the real why. And then he said, I think I do too. But I want to hear you say the real why. And then together, they, she, said, she said, well, he has a name. And, she, and together, they sing, his name is Jesus. And then they hugged each other and gave each other a big hug. Now, listen. Who does that? Someone who's been transformed, someone who's been changed by being in the presence of God. That's who does that, all right? So thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless in theos that's what it is now truth is we can have spiritual enthusiasm and yet some of us can lose it 
This morning I want to show you a person from the Old Testament who, if, if you've been around the church very long, you would know about David. And David was a shepherd boy who later became the king of Israel. As a boy and as a king, he was filled with entheos. But as a king, somewhere along the way, he lost it. So if you know the story of David and Goliath, the Philistine army was at uh, war, the Israelite army uh, with, with the Israelite army, and they, they would uh, pick a representative uh, warrior to do battle and then declare a winner after they faced each other on the battlefield for each army. So the Philistines had this massive giant named Goliath. The Israelites had no one to stand up to this giant. And this teenage boy, shepherd boy, who was uh, asked by his father to bring snacks to his brothers on the battlefield with enthusiasm. And look at this spiritual enthusiasm and confidence in God when he said this in 1 Samuel 17, 45 through 47. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. Isn't, aren't those great biblical words? <clears throat> and then... I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals and the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. Now, that is called in theos. That's confidence. There's not one thing about David having confidence in his own flesh and his own life and his own giftings. It's unparalleled enthusiasm born at a time with God. The question is, where did he get it? And where did he get his spiritual enthusiasm? Where did it come from? Well, it came from spending time with God. And uh, that inner dwelling, that spiritual enthusiasm rose up in his life and it became faith for him to act on no matter what circumstance he was facing. Where do you get it? Where do you get it if you're a lady singing at a kiosk? Where do you get it as a teenager? Where do you get it as a new born again Christian? You get it by spending time with God. Thank God through Jesus Christ who allowed us to overcome sin and death. So let me give you three thoughts about David's life. You don't have to, they're not on your notes, but you can just, you, I'll give you a key word in a moment. Here's what David did. David trusted in God daily. David uh, walked with God daily. David worshiped God daily. The key word is daily. He trusted, he walked, and he worshiped daily. So how could he trust God to fight a giant? Because in previous days, when a bear came after the sheep, and he's a young teenage boy, he asked God for strength to defeat the bear, and he defeated it. He didn't take glory for himself. He gave glory to God. On another day, a lion came after the sheep, 
and he asked God for strength, and he defeated the lion. And he said, because I trusted, walked, and worshiped with God on those days, I can trust and walk and worship with God on this day, and he'll give me the strength and the enthusiasm and the power to defeat this giant that's come against not only me, but my church, all right? So he enjoyed God's presence, and he walked with him daily and worshiped him daily. And Psalm 23 just tells us what David was like. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In other words, I lack nothing because of the shepherd that's in my life. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. He restores my soul. So if you're lacking enthusiasm, get in God's presence. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me. He restores me. He comforts me. He prepares me. He anoints me. You're always with me. David trusted God. He walked with God. He worshiped God daily. Now, when the Ark of the Covenant came into his hometown, which was symbolic of the presence of God, and he was just a brand new king, he went out not completely dressed and went into a massive worship parade. And he did it with so much enthusiasm, his wife, Michael, was embarrassed looking out the window, watching her husband act like what some people would call an idiot as he's dancing and going around and in front of all the people, but he's doing it before the presence of God, and he did it with all that was in him. And I just want you to know, there are two seasons that come into every person's life. Here's the first one. He had it. He had the presence of God. He had passion and enthusiasm. He loved God. Thank God be under the Lord Jesus Christ who causes us to overcome sin and death. And so you get excited. You're forgiven. You love God with all your heart. The second season is, and you have to be careful, is he lost it. If you have passion and, 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 and you love God with all your heart, you've got to guard it because there's another story if you fast forward in the second Samuel 11, <clears throat> where it tells us, in the springtime, he should have been at battle, but David actually stayed at home. And when he wasn't there, he was supposed to be uh, in the, on this battlefield. So what he did is he climbed on the roof and he saw something he wasn't supposed to see, which was a woman taking a bath. And when he wasn't there, where he was supposed to be and wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. He saw something he wasn't supposed to see and he did something he should have never done and it cost a lot of people something they should have never lost. And it all started, I want you to hear this, it all started when he stopped spending time with God daily. It all started when he stopped spending time with God daily daily. And I want to show you the contrast. It's on your notes. You can write this down. As a teenager, 
With enthusiasm, David ran into battle to serve his God. It made me start thinking back into my teenage years when uh, I was on fire for God. I wanted to serve God. I, I believed with all my heart there was a call of God on my life, and I believed with all my heart there, that God was going to use me in ministry sometime along the way. And I believed that all of Grace Harbor would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believed that people by the thousands would come to know him. And I still believe that with all my heart. I want you to know, I believe it with passion. I believe it with enthusiasm. I haven't stopped praying for it. I want you to know, I get up every day. Lord, I, I know I, I want all these other comforts in life. But most of all, what I care about is people coming to know Jesus Christ. That should be your driving force, the great commission, the great commandment. So as a teenager, with enthusiasm, David ran into battle to serve his God. But later, as a king, with apathy, David walked on the roof to serve his comfort. So here's a question. How does a man who had so much spiritual enthusiasm as a teenager lose it as a king? And here's the answer. It's not on your notes, but you might want to write this one down. He took his eyes off of his calling and put it on his comfort. So here's a question for all of us. Which one represents you? Are you full of entheos, enthusiasm for the things of God and whatever you do for God? Because it is not meaningless and it's not about the what. It's about all about the who. And I hope you get that this morning. Do you find yourself more spiritually comfortable, more complacent? Are you, are you charging into spiritual battle like you used to, knowing that your God is with you, knowing that he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you, you still have a call on your life, you still are going to be used by God, and are you charging into it with enthusiasm and with power and with might and with passion because you spent time in his presence? Or have you drifted into more spiritual complacency. Observation, pastorally, is that most people have fallen into one of, the two, one of two extremes over the last few years, starting with COVID, and those who are continuing to walk with God daily, trust God daily, depend on his presence daily, and feed on his word daily, and growing in intimacy with the Lord daily. They, they sense his calling on their lives, and they are directed by his presence and is it's very very real to them daily every single day now my i have found that people don't we don't drift towards discipline we don't drift towards health we don't drift towards good decisions what we do is we drift towards complacently complacency apathy self-centeredness comfort self-centered attitudes Rather than being filled with the presence of God, we get filled with fear. We get filled with doubt. We have loss of joy. We have full, we're full of worry. And we're wondering, 
Where'd my purpose go and what am I supposed to do? And I want you to know, you need to be passionate, not with fear, but with faith. Our God is bigger than the United States government. Our God is bigger than the than the stock market. Our God is bigger than any situation you're facing. So when you spend time with God, it doesn't matter what you see outwardly. It's what's going on inside of you. So which represents you? In theos, calling, purpose, passion, spiritual enthusiasm, or comfort and complacency, David had it and he lost it. Now, there's a story in a book that I was reading It's called No Church Left Behind by Pastor Raymond Culpepper. Uh, And he had a church of thousands in Birmingham, Alabama. And uh, the story's about Raymond and his father, his father, Frank, who had been a pastor before him. His father was an incredible man of God. He'd just been diagnosed with colon cancer, and they caught it late, and they gave him 30 days to live. If everyone of us live, like we only have 30 days left, we'd all live differently. So Raymond, the son, was devastated and went to see his dad. And his dad said, son, I want you to take me to Lumberton, North Carolina. He said, you, you, dad, you're no in, in no condition to travel. But his dad insisted. And a couple weeks passed. So now he'd only been given 30 days. And here we are in the 14th, 15th day. And his dad said, tomorrow... Son, we're going to Lumberton, North Carolina. So Ray, his son, prepared the car, and it was over a 400-mile trip and took them over two days to get there because of his dad's condition. When they got to Lumberton, his dad had him drive up to this little church on the outskirts of town. They got out of the car. They walked up to the front door, which was unlocked, and they walked in. Raymond's dad who was supposed to die in the next two weeks, turned to his son and said this, this is the place. This is the place. This is a place where I walked into this house and I was bound by alcohol. And right here at the altar, Jesus met me. And he began to dance around and he began to praise God. He said it was like watching his dad get infused by the power of God. It was like he wasn't sick at all. And there he said to his son, right here is where God delivered me. Right here is where God called me to preach the gospel. And the, the father then bowed down at the altar and he began to thank God for 40 years of ministry. He thanked him for all the souls and the harvest. He thanked him for his wife and his kids and the faithfulness of God. And he did it for about 30 minutes. Then he got up. He walked over to a, a small bottle of anointing oil. And he said to her, his son Raymond, this today, this today is not just about me. It's about you. Now Raymond pastored the Metro Church in downtown Birmingham that had thousands of attenders. He later became the head of the uh, Church of God, which had nine million members. And he was a leader of leaders. His father looked at him and said, Raymond, I'm going to pray for you today. I know I only have a couple weeks left, but I ask God to not take me home till I brought you here, son, because, son, you've lost your edge. 
You've lost your passion. You've lost your enthusiasm. You've lost your calling. You've lost what you were called to do for what you used to be so excited about to do with Jesus. He said, you've learned how to preach. You've learned how to run a church, but you've lost your love for people. You've lost your anointing for ministry, and you've learned how to go through the motions, and you've lost your first love. Then his father took the bottle and poured it over his head, all over him. And he said, all of a sudden, I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit come upon me. I felt the shame of how I'd hurt the Lord. And then he said, right there in Lumberton, North Carolina, I rediscovered a passion for my calling and for my ministry. And he said, I rediscovered this new desire for the great commission to win souls and and the, the great commandment to love God more than I ever had before. And he said, my dad prayed. He laid hands on me and he prayed that I would never lose sight of why I'm called, what I'm called to do. And then he said, Lord, would you forgive Raymond? Raymond didn't ask for forgiveness. His dad said, I stand in the gap. Would you forgive Raymond for being half-hearted? And he said, all of a sudden, as he kept praying, a new passion, a new enthusiasm for God's presence that came on his life, that would never leave him again. And that church, as he left there that day, a new passion for daily devotions a new passion for prayer, a new passion for praise and worship came over his life and he was never the same. I stand before you today to say this, fasting and praying does no good if we do not draw closer to God. We did all this to learn a mission, to learn a vision. No, we did it so that we could realize it's God that did it for us. He put it in our lives. He gave us assignments. He's allowed us to uh, to be part of who he is and what he's about. And if we don't spend time with him daily and walk with him daily and worship him daily and trust him daily, we can lose our first love. But let me just tell you in Revelations chapter three, it talks about losing your first love. But guess what? It doesn't say you lose it. It says they left it. I want you to remember this. We don't lose our first love. We leave it. We leave it for something we think will fulfill us more than the presence of God. I'm here to tell you today, folks, it's time to get back to the presence of God. So would you stand with me? As a pastor, I don't want to get caught up in function and lose my passion for ministry. I don't want to allow myself to become so dry and brittle that I, that I break easily. And maybe that's you today. You're saying, Pastor Doug, I have no enthusiasm left. I have no passion left. I'm running on empty. I'm weak. Nehemiah tells us the joy of of the Lord is our strength. So just like Jesus told the believers in Ephesus, I hold this one thing against you. In Revelation, he said this. Actually, Revelations 2, 4, and 5. You have forsaken the love you had at first. I don't know if you lost it or you've left it, but I'm here to tell you today, 
you can get it back. How do you get it back? You look back to where you lost it. Then you go to that place and you say, God, help me find it again. Restore it. I repent of loving other things more than you. Because, folks, as we fasted and prayed and put God back in first place, I want us to end this. I hope you're here Wednesday night saying, whatever's on my schedule, I'm going to cancel. I'm going to be here. I'm going to go after God with everything I've got. I want to be at the altar. I want to go after the Lord. I want my first love back. I want my passion back. I want the presence of God like never before. I want it my marriage. I want it my children. I want it my finances. I want it above anything else. And if you'll do that, I'm telling you, 2023 will be the year of free. You'll be free from all the stuff that's held you back. All right? Now, I said earlier, there are two types of people. Circumstances, the ones who let circumstances rule their lives. And they get bound by fear. And then there are those that let their enthusiasm change the mood and their situation and their surroundings because they spent time with God. So here's how we're going to end today. We're going to sing this song. I want the altar open. I'm not asking for salvation right now. I'm asking for people who call themselves Christians who need to get their heart and their passion back with God to flood this altar. And let's go after God. Let's worship and let's get to the altar this morning.